Welcome to uh, our uh, class. Uh, thank you all for coming. And uh, as we're uh, preparing to do this right at the, the Christmas season, I thought it might be kind of appropriate to talk about uh, the Bethlehem story. Now, along with that, as you're watching it, just take a second to hit like and hit share so that we can uh, spread this out uh, everywhere. And uh, if you want to leave us a comment about where where you're watching this from, that always helps as well. So like and share and comment. That's, that's your job. My job is to cover uh, the lesson part of this, right? Okay. Now, as we look at the Bethlehem uh, story, it's funny, as we're recording this, uh, Cindy and I watched... Uh, last night, the uh, the Christmas story of from uh, the Chosen, the the TV series, and we went to theater to watch that. They had their view, their take about what the Bethlehem story uh, looked looked like. Well, as it turns out, any time that we go back into historical areas, there's an old saying that says history is a foreign country, and it's a foreign country for a variety of reasons right? One of them is the fact that it, they just live a different time with different traditions. They speak differently. They have different attitudes. Whenever we're looking at any history at all, we're running into that. Certainly in this year with the Come Follow Me as you've been looking at the early history of the church, the way that they thought and the way they did, that's really a foreign country. Uh, when we take people to church history sites, we're having to constantly put it all in context because it is they thought differently and think differently, even though they kind of look like us, they weren't us. And now when we go all the way back to the first century, we're really in that area of, of a foreign country, not just literally, but figuratively in the way that they do it. So when we try to talk about details, about uh, what happened actually that, that night in Bethlehem, now we're looking at it from a variety of different directions uh, and who knows exactly which one is right. So we have our traditional ones that we look at and, and uh, I'm going to bring some new things to that uh, and uh, as maybe as a bit of an alternative in some cases ways of looking at this. Uh, now we go back uh, when, when you talk about who's viewing these kind of things. Think about Nephi's experience, and he simply wanted to know from the angel, after his father had had this wonderful vision of the tree of life, he says, I, I just want to know the meaning of the tree. And uh, we recognize this, right, uh, from First Nephi. And it came to pass, he says, that I looked and I beheld the great city of Jerusalem, which he knew, and also other cities. And I beheld the city of Nazareth. Now, we have no idea in his growing up if he ever got as far up as to Nazareth, Nazareth was not a, a big place, as we'll see in a second. And, but he knew it was Nazareth. And he says, In the city of Nazareth he beholds a virgin. And it came to pass that he says, I saw the heavens open, and the angel came down and stood before me, and he says, Nephi, what do you see? What do you behold? And what does he behold? Well, he's a young man. And he says, I behold a virgin. I, I, I see a young woman, and she's most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. She's really pretty. And she's in Nazareth. And then, and then the, the angel's going to ask a very interesting question. He's going to say, and it almost looks like he's skipping to another topic. Knowest thou the condescension of God? 
you're seeing the virgin he's caught up in all of that um but do you know the condescension of god do you know how god condescends well that seems to be coming out of left field and he's going to say unto him i know i know that he loves his kids he loves his children but nevertheless i don't know the meaning of all things Brothers and sisters, we're gonna as we try to describe some of the things that Nephi might have seen. We have to keep in mind that the number one item here, and it was the number one important part for the angel, and that he wanted Nephi to know: Do you know the condescension of God? The nativity scene and the events connected to that are part of this condescension of God. And we're going to see how that exactly works in all areas. Now, traditionally then we have this view. Uh, this, is, this is certainly the way that uh, Dutch painters <laughs> would, have, would have seen uh, those events. And the makeup is just right and the lighting is fine. And uh, even the cow is well behaved. Everybody's smiling. Uh, this woman has just given birth, <laughs> and she's got people dropping in. Uh, so even through the eyes of uh, the past, looking at the farther past, they're going to have their view of what they're seeing. Let's, let's first talk, though, when we start talking about what happened in Bethlehem and the nativity. Let's first start with uh, the things that we, we know relatively more, and it helps set a stage for us so we, we understand this. We need to remember that uh, after, after the Jews came out of exile, uh, about uh, 400-something uh, B.C., uh, they're not, they don't get a chance to live independently very long before uh, Alexander the Great comes in and they conquer uh, the, the Jewish state, uh, and it's now a Greek province. Uh, for Alexander and the Ptolemies uh, and they're going to continue to rule for a number of years and uh, and one of these uh, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes doesn't like the Jewish culture at all he's gonna he's going to place idols actually in the temple precinct that smaller temple of Zerubbabel that's there and he's going to then try and squash Hebrew tradition and, and it gets worse and worse and worse till finally in 160 BC, uh, the, the Maccabees, uh, the rise of Judas the Hammer, they rise up and they conquer the Greeks. Now it helps that the Greeks were kind of separated at that time, the empire had been separated. They weren't as strong as they were at one point, but they won. They won their independence and their freedom. And we get this stretch and period of time where uh, the Hasmoneans are the royal house of uh, Judah, and they're going to control and rule, actually with a fairly tight fist, Ju Judea and Jerusalem and, and most of the, uh, the central part of, of uh, Israel. And what happens is the Hasmoneans then come to a, a place where they're going to find that... Um, that northern part of Israel is now kind of empty, and they've emptied it of the Greeks. What are we going to do? Well, let's put our people, the, the deep-believing uh, Jewish people, 
and they're going to take them from their homelands in the south and they're going to move them up into the north to reconquer, establish, even though these are traditionally people that were in the south. So one of those areas that is then occupied now under the Hasmoneans, uh, occupied anew, is the city of Nazareth. And Nazareth in these days, this uh, good artist rendition of it, you're looking down a long hill, uh, and up here on top, uh, I don't know how well you can see this, but up here on, on top is a large rock quarry. Uh, and it sits up there. The city lies down along the, the base of it. It's not a very big village, uh, but it's, it's built around uh, this rock quarry that's going to provide stones for building the, the homes down there, but also a lot of the homes um, in roundabout. Uh, this is this is more a, this is a picture of modern uh, Bethlehem from our hotel down here. But you're still looking up that hill in Nazareth with the rock quarry up uh, near the top, and that's going to be Nazareth. And it's kind of a small city of consequence for a long period of time, except that we know that in this in this little village here is a virgin most beautiful. Uh, that Nephi is able to see. Uh, now, I don't. We don't know if he was also able to be granted a vision of uh, the person that tradition is called Saint Joseph the Just. He was a just man. Just meaning that he was going to take care of Mary, and and he would raise uh, Joshua, Jesus, as he's growing. But we need to keep in mind, one of the things that we sometimes leave out is that we say, well, he did a good thing uh, that when he finds out that Mary is pregnant, he has no idea how she got pregnant, but tradition says, well, he then uh, prays about it, thinks about it, then the angel comes, Gabriel, and tells him it's okay. Uh, this is the story behind the whole thing. Go ahead and marry Mary. You were betrothed to her. Now go ahead and complete the marriage. Make her an honest woman because right now we have an unmarried, very righteous woman, but unmarried in a small town uh, trying to figure out how she got pregnant. And, the, and so the, there's going to be a, an underlying scandal sitting here. Well, let's make these real people. Um, Matthew, the book of Matthew talks about the fact that uh, while Joseph discovers that she's pregnant, she's coming back from spending time with her, with her uh, aunt uh, Elizabeth, her cousin Elizabeth, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the dream. We need to understand that the Greek word, at least as Matthew's understanding it, this Greek word, and Thamelia May talking about as he thinks on these things. What, how was he thinking? Well, he's very human. And, and this is a, this is a uh, culture of, of honor. And he's been, even though he's thinking about it, under any circumstance, he's been, he's been dishonored. His bride, his betrothed bride, has come back from the south 
pregnant. And he has no understanding why. And, and we say that he thought on these things. That Greek word, he thought on these things, the better translation of this is, while he fumed or was angry after this matter. Joseph was mad. As, as, a, as a young man uh, and, and a pregnant fiance, he was angry. So when he goes to bed, Gabriel is actually helping settle down a very angry, dishonored young man. This doesn't come easily. Now, once he understands the program, then he's going to be the most loving of all. But this idea of this just Joseph is the one that had to be mollified in a sense until he understood the program. And so hurt what would he have been by loving this young woman and not understanding what's occurring. The last thing he would ever assume is that Miriam, Mary, would somehow become pregnant. Okay? Now, so, so we understand that he has to go through that process. Now, what's the next thing that we know? Well, Nazareth, if, the, if we look at the, the ancient lands where they, where they were, uh, Joseph's family is originally down here in Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem, five miles over here. This is the original land of Judah. This is his uh, traditional family land. His, his ancestors all go back in there. He would have relatives all over Bethlehem. Now, remember that his father's fathers under the Hasmoneans are going to be asked to relocate, and some do. And they're going to come from here, and they're going to go all the way up here to what would have been the area of Naphtali, up here near the Sea of Galilee. This is where they were, and this is why Joseph is living up here. But his family roots are all down here. So when the time comes, and we don't know exactly what the census was coming from uh, from Caesar. There's been a lot of speculation about what that was. They're actually going to make this journey from here all the way down to here. Um, but he's going to his ancestral land for this census, whatever that ended up uh, being for them. Okay. So as they're going to come down, they're going to, and we think about the, the little town of Bethlehem. Well, you're living in a land that has been conquered and conquered and conquered again. And if you're a little village, like what we just saw with Nazareth, you're going to get overrun and overrun and overrun again. These are much older cities, though, down here in Bethlehem. So what would Bethlehem have looked like in the first century as Joseph and Mary are making their way down from up here in Nazareth all the way down here to Bethlehem. What did it look like? Small little city? No, this was a walled city. And again, I don't know in, on as you're looking at this how well you can see it, but there was a protective wall that ran around Bethlehem, Bethlehem, city of bread. Um, and, and so this town exists down inside here to, to give them some protection against the invaders that might come from Petra and Jordan and the Nabataeans and, and all of the other people that, that might sweep through here. Okay? 
So this is Bethlehem in the first century, and it is, it's much more built up than Nazareth. And again, remember, it is the ancestral land of Joseph. So when he's going to come from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, does he have places to stay? Oh, count on it. He does. Okay, so where are they going to stay? Now, tradition, especially in the first couple of centuries after the birth of Christ, there was a lot of uh, Christian traditions about where the nativity took place, where the baby was born, all of those kind of things. And much of them were, there's a lot of fiction in there. But again, as we've said, History is a foreign country. We don't necessarily know everything. But we can, we can put some kind of meat on these bones a little bit to give us some idea of some real possibilities of what the nativity might have looked like. So, so l l let, me, l let me give one more little piece of, stay with me on this, one more little piece of background that helps put a, a piece into place here. Okay. We have in the scriptures this, this moment in, on the Sabbath when the woman, Jesus heals a woman who was bent over and couldn't straighten herself and he calls to her and he says, women, you are freed. We're going to make you untied from your infirmities. And it says that the head of the synagogue was angry because Jesus had worked on the Sabbath. Remember, remember this story? Now, what does Jesus respond to this Pharisee? Ye hypocrites, he says, do not each of you on the Sabbath day untie his ox or his ass, his donkey, from the manger and lead it away to water it. He says, even though you don't want me working on Sunday, there are some things that you do in your home. And one of them is, is that you're going to untie your ox and, and from, the man, from the manger and lead it away to water it. Now, we have from, from the, some of the most earliest Aramaic versions of the New Testament in the ninth century, only eight copies have survived. We get this little line, this version from the, that Middle Eastern tradition, here's the way they understood it, reads this verse as, does not every one of you untie his ox or his donkey on, the sun, on Sunday, on, on, on the Sabbath, from the manger in the house and take it outside and water it? He's describing a time when they're going to, that there is a manger, but that manger is in the house proper meaning this stall area. And, and, and what exactly does that look like? Well, here's, here's what it looks like. A, a, a single, single story home in first century Judea would look something like this. There's an open area on the front here and with an entrance over here on this end. And then there's some reclining stairs down in here to this back area. Now, the, first, the front part of this is where the family living room is. So where, where's the manger? The, the manger is in the, the animal stalls are in the back. 
remember they can't for one thing if you're living in town in a small walled village there isn't like massive places for your animals where do your animals go they go at the back of the house because that way you can watch them they won't get stolen you can protect them from predators not just humans but also animals that might attack your your most important animal so you keep them in the house and then there's a wall here with openings and what goes there well you're gonna have these feeding troughs right here which actually constitute the manger so the animals are gonna be back the family room is up front and the mangers are, are there and again and when the again when they're getting on Jesus for healing on the Sabbath he's saying wait a minute on the Sabbath you get up in the morning you lead your animals that spent the night at the back of the house you lead them out and you take them to watering troughs that aren't located here your feed here are but the bigger watering troughs and where they're going to graze during the day is actually located outside uh, and in some cases you're going to lead them to green pastures that might be located up the hill or, or uh, spring pastures where you might take them a little bit farther but for the most part your animals will stay here they'll munch on this during the day or during the night and then you'll take them the mangers here okay and the animal stalls are there now so this is a first century home let me show you a little nicer one um, would be uh, more of a dual dual story air dual, uh, multi-story area <clears throat> so here's here's the open area here including the kitchen and the storage and everything here is the back manger back here this is where the animals are kept again during the night not so much during the day but at night and then they can reach through here and then the feeding troughs the mangers would have been here so two important things here that we need to keep in mind one is then if you go upstairs there's some living areas up here now what is over here in this corner what is what is located up here is what is called the catalima it's the guest room and 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 so when people would come they would stay in the catalima up in the guest room uh, but this is also this was translated under first of the Vulgate and then into the King James Version this Catalima was actually translated as in and and so the, the, they the, they're trying to figure out where a guest room would be well it, it means the inn okay so keep an eye on, on that and then we have this open space which actually anybody walking through would have actually been able to kind of see in plus an outside courtyard out here if you're walking through you could see into the courtyard in there and you might then be able to see straight in to see uh, the manger so um, that the, the guest room is up here so now now let's let's go back to the traditional story that that we hear and that was what was traditionally known was the fact that 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 uh, Joseph and Mary are going to come into Bethlehem 
they're going to uh, they're going to get to Bethlehem, and then they're going to find out that there is uh, that there is no room for them in the inn because it was so crowded. Well, first of all, keep in mind Joseph is returning to his ancestral homeland. He has places to stay. There are a lot of people that would take in a Joseph and and Mary. He's going to ha they have a place to stay, but the place is busy. So what's full? The guest room is full. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of family coming into town and so there's already somebody in your guest room. So you're going to give them a spot on the couch or the family room. You're going to make room for them uh, to be able to, to do this. Okay, so there's no room for them in the inn. And then, uh, and then the baby, when it's born, uh, what is most likely to happen, it could have occurred where it was just Joseph and Mary in a cave. Brothers and sisters, what's most likely to have occurred was that they had the baby in the house under the watchful care of midwives who knew what they were doing to help this baby uh, come into the world in a very comfortable place. After the baby is born, what do they do? They're going to wrap that baby in swaddling clothes and lie it where? In the manger. In the manger. Pro if it's a single dwelling thing, the baby would be lying here because it would be the most comfortable uh, cradle that they could have there. Okay, with the, Again, animals looking in, but they're looking in. But more than likely, at least there's a very decent chance that Joseph and Mary would have been surrounded by a loving family, helping them through this whole process. Now, uh, before, before we kind of wrap up here, we're now looking also at the uh, some of the other elements that are involved in all of this. Okay, And one would have been, what's located out here uh, outside of Bethlehem? Well, what's located out here in Bethlehem outside the city is what is called the shepherd's fields. What's out here in the shepherd's fields? Well, if you look, and, and this is a, a photo that I took um, kind of back near some caves. There's some caves that are located here. Um, and you're looking down into the, into the shepherd field area. And the, right along the top here, you can see uh, buildings right along the top. That's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, is within uh, close range of being able to see, be seen from uh, the, the shepherd's fields down here. Now, who is in, in, this, in this locale? There's no way to know for sure. But what is actually most likely is the fact that within these fields were, were these flocks and that these flocks were actually uh, near an ancient place called Migdal Eder. And in, in Migdal Eder is not just any flock. It would be the temple flock. This would be where sheep are, are kept and raised and lambed to provide uh, sacrifices for the temple in Jerusalem. Now, 
Let's, let's, let's talk for a second about shepherds. The shepherds are, are an interesting conundrum in Israel. What, and if you just take the Bible version, the Genesis version, uh, the first righteous offspring of Adam and Eve is Abel. And Abel is a shepherd. Then over time, when you have Joseph's family coming into Egypt, Jacob and, and the 12 tribes, and, and Pharaoh asks them, who are you? And they're going to they're gonna say, hey, we're shepherds. Uh, when we have King David, what does he first do? He's a shepherd. Um, and he's going to write uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. So on one side, there is a sense of of shepherds being the highest of tradition handling the the most vulnerable of commodities, the sheep. On the other hand, though, in so much of Israel, shepherds were the lowest of the low. They smelled, they they, uh, uh, were dirty, uh, they were out all night with their sheep, they weren't very educated, they were the people of the land, and so, even though there was a traditional um, honor to shepherds, there was also the reality on the ground, especially in the first century, shepherds aren't all that great. They are the lowest of society. So, it is fascinating then that with the, the birth of the Savior, we get this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, the shepherd's fields nearby watching over their flocks at night an angel of the Lord appears to them and the glory of the Lord shines round about them and they were terrified as as they would be it's a pretty dark night and suddenly the it's filled with uh, light and angels and the angel says do not be afraid I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people today in the town of David Right close by here, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, in the, in the eyes and thoughts and traditions of the shepherds, where would a king be born? A king would be born in the temple or in uh, a place of royalty up on the temple mount. You have not just um, Temple Antonia, where the, the, the royalty and the powerful people are, but you also have all the homes of the Sadducees coming up above the city of David, high up, full of very Roman homes with marble and waterfalls and very clad. And that's where kings would be. And yet, uh, think back to what the angel is telling Nephi 600 years earlier. Knowest thou the condescension of God? In this case, this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. This will be a sign to who? This will be a sign to you, you the shepherds. In other words, this was a sign to shepherds. This was a sign to the most humblest of 
citizens in Israel. This will be a sign for you. You will not find this baby born in up on the Temple Mount. You're not going to find it in the rich. You're not going to find it in Herod's palace. This will be a sign to the shepherds. You're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, in clothes that would be very familiar to you, probably the same clothes that used to keep lambs warm, and lying in a feeding trough, lying in a manger in Jerusalem, or in Bethlehem. So that, that will be your sign. Now, we might think about it again, saying, so they're going to make haste, and they're going to now hurry from the fields and go down into the city. It isn't like they can just knock on doors and find and are searching caves or, or whatever. Um, so where are they going to find this baby? Well, they could actually come down the street, look into a courtyard, look down in here and see a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a feeding trough, lying in a manger in this home. And then ask to gain entrance to see this baby. So this condescension of God is, is having the most humblest of citizens watching a baby born in the most humblest but loving circumstances in this home. One other point needs to be brought out here. Uh, well, two other points pointing to the, the possibility that the, the, this birth took place probably in the home. Um, number one, and, and we're going to talk next week about the coming of the kings uh, to see him, but they're going to find the baby in a home and uh, in a house. He's become, you're going to find the child in a house. Uh, that, that's really clearly taught. But let me just finish with this. Where is the, if, if by some means, some reason, that a group of shepherds would have come and found this couple giving birth to a baby in a cave, in a dirty stable, if you know anything about this culture of honor and the Bedouin culture. Uh, in fact, uh, as we do this, I, my uh, my uh, TV sits on a Bedouin uh, cloth that we bought f uh, from Bedouins, uh, traveling uh, Arabs on on a, on a uh, camel just outside of Jericho. Um, that that traditional sense of honor that is that should the shepherds have found this family hanging out in a really dirty cave that would have lasted about five minutes and at that point they would have scooped this family up taken them to their wives and mothers who would have gently lovingly taken care of this mother who has just given birth they would not under any circumstances have allowed this family to stay there and just walk away they would have taken them home because that's who they would have been. Because at that sense of we need to love and take care, not only do we know who this is, the angels have told us who this is, but they would have done this to strangers 
and scooped up his family and taken them home to a saw to a warm cave to take care of this mother recovering from birth childbirth and this baby that had just been born they would have done that to anybody so brothers and sisters what happened on that night we will never completely know perhaps we can have a millennium fireside with Nephi he can tell us what he saw perhaps we can have a millennial fireside with Mary herself she's keeping all these things close to the the vest maybe she'll open them up to a millennial fireside uh, we hope so it'd be nice to see the the, the uh, video of what happened what is most likely to have occurred though is that this family gave gave birth to this baby surrounded by loving relatives and careful midwives who would have loved and taken care of this most precious birth would they have known exactly who this was i think joseph and miriam would have kept that close to the vest and not told anybody other than the fact that this mother was having her first child it and and it would have been uh close by the animals would have been uh, close to that wonderment when the shepherds showed up and had a chance to spend and and be blessed by that shortly after that we think just a few weeks after then comes the wise men and we will continue this story uh in the next class i bury my testimony that this was the most sacred of nights the most wonderful of nights and I pray that as we, as we think on it and we think about the condescension of God, we see how amazing it is that the creator of all the worlds, the great Jehovah, the one who parted the Red Sea, would be born into the carnation, into a mortal body, in a feeding trough, in a, in a lowly manger. I bear you my testimony that we ought to be grateful and love all that has been done for us. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.